Hey guys, welcome back to the Real Estate Monopoly. My name is Kerwin. And this is Jeffrey. And this is the Real Estate Monopoly show. And uh, today we have an awesome guest. Spencer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's awesome to start with you guys this morning. I know I'm out on the awesome. West Coast, but this is my, yes. uh, my morning coffee. <laughs> yes. I've only been, so he, as for the audience, we've been uh, to California. I've been once. Jeffy hasn't been. I've never been. But we're going for Thanksgiving this year. We're really excited. Um, any good spots in San Francisco that you would recommend us go to? I mean, so many, you know, it's, <laughs> it's hard to list it. I, I mean, I do think that like some of those table stakes things that when you live here most of your life, you almost forget to go and check out despite yes. how awesome they are, you know, like Alcatraz. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're going there. We're going there. You want to go to Yosemite as well. Have you ever been? Oh, I would totally go to Yosemite. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, there, there's just an incredible amount of yeah. incredible things within reasonable driving distance. That's part sure. of the reason that we're still willing to double down on, you know, paying a ridiculous amount of money to live here. <laughs> I love that. No, I love that. And we were wondering, like, what is San Francisco even known for in terms of food? But um, we can get into that uh, offline. I was just wondering that the other day. But thanks again for being here, Spencer. It's really an honor to have you. Um, um, so, yeah, today, Spencer Hillegoss, that's how you say it, correct? Yeah, you got it. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah, Spencer's a full-time real estate investor, and he's a former operations leader who walked away from a lucrative career of, th in thir of 13 years across five high-growth fintech companies in Silicon Valley. Uh, Spencer is now focused on Madison Investing, a passive investing group with hundreds of members, actively deployed capital with Madison's vetted sponsors and deals in high growth markets across the U.S. Uh, I, I, I was checking out your background and really diving into it. And I believe that growing up, you said that your parents were in real estate and there was a time where you were, I don't want to say embarrassed, but like for lack of a better word, embarrassed about talking about it because a lot of your peers maybe had parents that worked in Silicon Valley and tech, uh, financial tech companies. I would love to know now, has that changed for you now that you like went from Silicon Valley to being in real estate? Are you now still embarrassed or is it kind of like a flex for you to mention, yeah, I, I, I was in Silicon Valley and now I'm in real estate? Oh my gosh. Thanks for being the first person to ever really ask that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, Kerwin. Um, let me think about that. I, I have to say it's a point of pride uh, to go out on your own um, outside of the W-2 construct right at large and, and i think that in and of itself stepping away from just the industry type um when you kind of break free of that you know addiction to a mm -hmm. corporate provided w-2 paycheck that just conveniently shows up in your account every two weeks from direct deposit i mean that that's a massive brain transplant and i think that in and of itself i feel a great deal of uh pride in for both for both jennifer and i who's my co-founder coo and my better half you know so, so she and I had two separate careers for, as, as you mentioned, you know, 13 years and totally different industries. And so compared to growing up, you know, you learn a lot as you, as you get older. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's tough for me to distinguish between is the real estate the flex or is it really just the fact that maybe I got more secure in my own skin um, over time. And mm -hmm. I, I think there is an element of also knowing what is it like inside the guts of a lot of these start tech startups anyways. You know, is it a lot of that glamour that comes along with being part of a high growth kind of quote unquote unicorn tech startup? Mm -hmm. It it doesn't fade necessarily. It just becomes very real when you're like, cool, I joined this incredible rocket ship of a company and then I did it again and then I did it again. And does they all pan out to be Uber and Google and Facebook size at exits? No, absolutely not. And that, that's kind of one of the core foundational learnings, I think, of what brings us here today and like what prompted us to go out and start Madison investing to help other people as well is that like, you know, the, the real flex is not necessarily 
kind of what industry you're in, in my opinion, mm. it's the flex of knowing you're in absolute control of your own destiny and, that. you know, your own time. And I can wake up and focus on being a great husband and a great dad. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I know a lot of people, whether they're in Silicon Valley or uh, in another industry, or even still in college about to transition into a job, a lot of times they kind of aspire to be, and I, I know you've quoted like the 80 to 100 hour worker. Um, so I would love to get some context as to what it's like working in Silicon Valley. What is the reality of that? And I guess, uh, yeah, just paint the picture of like that, that uh, idea that people have of working that 80 to 100 hours. And a lot of my peers and people that I, I, I know actually aspire to get to that point. So can you kind of just dive into what that's really like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, fun topic. You know, I don't get to talk about it very much. And so I think that if you look at the pros and cons, it's so important to look at both yeah. as like as objectively as you possibly can. So I'll start with the pros. You know, the, the pros are um, in the real estate investing community at large, which I, similar to you guys, I mm -hmm. cherish. Like it's, it's actually very full of positivity and people who build each other up largely. You know, that's the norm. And to its credit, it's generally very positive. The one topic or one or two topics that tend to come up in a much more negative light is you bring up a W-2 career in a real estate investing meeting or a discussion and people basically say, you know, screw the entire W-2 world altogether. And it's like, well, that wasn't my experience either, guys. I mean, it was, it was like a net positive one. And there was times where once you get in that world, you are understanding how to build your own set of tools like you when you go early stage enough in these tech startups yeah you're going to look around and instead of saying where's my manual to perform this job mm -hmm. and you go early stage enough like i was at an a series tech company and then a b series mm -hmm. tech company those are all like the earliest i know you guys know this but for the audience that means like yeah. are, they, are they raising capital early how young is that company you go early enough there is no manual there i mean you're going in and it sounds fun to build your own work and push far beyond the bounds of what you really are experienced and qualified to be doing because no one else is there to do it for you. <laughs> so is that exciting to some people? Absolutely. Uh, is it equally terrifying? Absolutely. And uh, I, I think that that is something I look back and frankly look at positively um, because I was, I, I chose that, you know, I started uh, five different fintech companies, all finance tech companies, like progressively going from big company like into it they do a third of the country's uh annual tax returns via yeah, turbo tax yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. then you got quickbooks yeah <laughs> like we use it for our business maybe mm. you guys might too um and then i chose deliberately to go earlier and earlier and earlier stages um of company of those five and i will pull up a specific example by the way just to say like i walked away from a very sizable amount of money with a promotion, more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I took a, like, I think it was at the time a 40% cut in cash compensation just to go say yes to a job. That was the hardest year I've ever had. And it was like 80 to 100 hours a week, but I did it specifically because it was going to be the best learning, hardcore learning, professional development experience I'd ever had. Everyone at this company was better than I was from my perspective. And they were, um, I was outclassed nonstop. So I won't ramble anymore on this point. I just want to make sure that people understand that like, if you know eyes wide open what you're getting into, it could be a beautiful thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I, I think all the table stakes stuff that people need to know before they become an entrepreneur is like, I, I, I went into being an entrepreneur and an investor 
with the table stakes skills that come from being in high growth tech companies, which is your work ethic is dialed in. That's for sure. Like, you, you know, yourself, you know what it takes, mm-hmm. you know what, what your ideal time of working per day is, mm-hmm. you know, all the basic stuff. Like, can I do the basics on a spreadsheet? Can I do the basics on writing? Well, can I do the basics on communicating with working with other people? Yeah. All those things. I can go on and on. I think on the cons, um, when I was in my twenties for sure, and up through my thirties, like I'm a mission driven dude. Like I carry about, I, I care about deeply integrity. I care, I care deeply about doing something and being part of something that matters. And ideally I should be connected somehow to that mission. And this, there's a, there's a double-edged sword there. And this is why it's going under the cons bucket. Mm. Uh, it's easy for folks to drop in just like I did to a company where you're all a hundred thousand percent behind the mission and then lose sight of the fact that the company cares about the company first. They don't care about you. And I'm, I'm sorry to say it so bluntly, but that's just a fact. Like you are the person who's going to seek your goals, set those goals, and then help achieve and support them for those that you love and how you're trying to make a, a, a mark on this world, hopefully positively. And a tech startup, they can be very, very good at getting you very bought in to then grind you into the ground and take as many minutes possible of your sweat, sweat equity, if you want to yeah. call it. Um, so that's just something you need to be aware of. Like, so yeah. I, I think uh, I didn't always understand that earlier on in my journey. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people uh, still navigating that world now because the hustle culture, as it were, is uh, fading in popularity, thank mm-hmm. God. Yeah. <laughs> and and I know Richard Poor Dad talks about um, like working for skills and not for money. And so it kind of, I think you really embodied that by choosing that lower paying, even, you know, path that was, became harder, but I'm sure you took a lot of skills and education from that experience. So that's really mm-hmm. awesome and great. Um, I did want to talk about, you, you mentioned a lot of times in Silicon Valley, people kind of hope and plan to have a big exit on the company they're working for. And I was wondering, is that kind of like the main plan people have for the retirement or to create massive wealth for themselves in that industry? And and if that isn't, can you maybe provide some detail into what that plan is and maybe why it's not as feasible as people might think? Man, that's a great surgical question. Um, Absolutely. It's a near and dear topic to my heart. So I think the most educational stories uh, are are real, you know, and and, and they're they're told from first person perspective. So like for me, Jennifer and I, we started off like really focused and celebratory about trying to max out our 401ks throughout the time that we were with our W2 gigs, you know? So we were like, yeah, let's go climb the ladder. That's what we were all out of, out of the gates kind of conditioned to do, right? Yeah. And yeah. I was like going for the title. I cared more about the title. I cared more about the promotion because that came with that nice, maybe as low as 3%, maybe as high on the really good year of like 10% raise mm. per year. And in the end, it's these are benefits are a good thing. Like I am a fan of retirement plans. They serve a function. The problem is um, I would celebrate it along with Jennifer without realizing that like, you know what? We could be using that same money, that hard-earned capital that was coming in and going straight into a retirement account that we couldn't touch for 30 years without a penalty applied. Mm-hmm. We didn't as, as I say in Kiyosaki's book, which I know you have behind you and you've already referenced, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll run with that. Um, pay yourself first. 
And I, I think paying yourself first is really arbitrary. Like when I first read that, I was like, what the hell does this mean? Um, but ultimately what it means is like, is someone sitting there and consciously making a decision about saying, I'm going to take my paychecks, make a decision about what's going to happen with that, with those funds that I have access to, and then decide I'll go pay my taxes that I owe. And then I'll decide this is how much I'm going to put into my, my retirement plan. So I just wanted to mention that first. It's super dry, super boring, not as glamorous as people who are sitting there thinking, I want to sit here and say, this is how you sign up to go work for Uber or Google or Facebook or whatever and have a huge exit, of course, right? But yeah. that is kind of the message is that the very minuscule amount, the, the, the percentage of people who actually go and join the right company who happens to have a huge exit. And then more importantly, they happen to have a meaningful amount of equity, which probably means they joined at a management level or they were so early stage and they were probably a founder themselves. Like those are the only exceptions that where people are really gonna get a life-changing amount of money from those things. And the chances are just super duper low. So do people actually subscribe to that belief? Hell yeah. Um, do they have the results they want? Typically not. However, is it a bad thing to join tech companies if that's still the reality? Totally not. I mean, you're going to be outclassed in a good way. Like I want to be surrounded by people who are far more capable than I am because then you're in the right room. You know, right. um, as long as you go in with an open mind, curiosity and all those things, like you can find those things. So like, uh, long story short, I think that company matches on 401ks, I think are worth using. And I still use those for, I used those until I left the W2 world until I didn't have a match anymore. Problem is a lot of early stage companies don't even have them because they should be putting their, their, uh, their funds and their, their capital to places to make the business stable first, unfortunately. So, Absolutely. Um, so anyways, um, that was probably a little bit more 401k than people wanted, but it's such an important <laughs> topic to me. No, yeah. For sure. And you keep touching on how at each of these companies, you were surrounding yourself with people that were quote unquote outclassing you. And that's something that we try to do. I mean, obviously we're young and it's not I would say it's too difficult to find people that are outclassing us in this space. It seems like everyone has a lot of experience and has a great track record and all that, but um, that's something that we're obviously doing. And we want everyone in the audience to be aware when you're doing any type of business, especially when you're new, it's important to surround yourself with people that have done it before, have a lot of experience um, that will help you get to your goals a lot faster. If you're hanging out with people that are doing what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, tough humility uh, or humble pie, if you will, right. to eat. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're sitting there going, it's okay to say I'm good at these things. I'm not so good at those things over there. Mm -hmm. And I think getting into a position where you're ready to receive that type of, of uh, feedback just by observation and interacting with other people. Oh man, it's a beautiful thing. You start to realize, you know what? The comfort zone of always doing things right and feeling like you get an, a gold star A for the day, mm -hmm. that comfort zone is deadly. It is so incredibly inhibiting. And I'm going to be specific about an example that I'll share here. Uh, that first big company experience that I had at Intuit, I was there five years. It treated me very well. I'm so incredibly grateful to have gone through that experience. But um, I took a bet, actually, a they took a bet on me when I, I went and I took on a job at, I think, 14 bucks an hour, 14.50, maybe it might have been 14.50 mm -hmm. an hour, which by some standards, that, uh, that's a great that's a great living in a certain states, right? Certain markets. Yeah. Um, at the time, to me, that was like a big pay cut, but I took it. I moved on my own dime to, I think at the time I was going to Colorado, to, to Denver, Colorado, where we did end up living for like 10 years. But I was offered that job because I went in to be a customer support rep. 
And most people are like, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm better than that. It's like, well, that uh, I, I don't put much stock into what I am destined to, to, to do, right? It's mm -hmm. more like, I'm going to go in there because I was told if I work hard enough and if I show up well and I do it relentlessly and I devour education and I, and I, I lead others and I stretch so far outside my comfort zone daily, I could eventually step into leadership roles. And so that actually happened. And over the course of five years, starting off as a customer support rep, I went from just doing that and helping customers, you know, but it was also like uh, a sales role or two within that mixed yeah. in, which was very helpful for an introvert like me, believe it or not. And so five years later, I was running a facility of like over 200 people. And wow. that was terrifying. Yeah. I mean, that was really hard. Uh, that was, there was moments where I stepped in it as it were, you know, I really made the wrong call or like I said the wrong thing. I can't count how many times. Um, but I bring all that up because like, ultimately that was so deeply uncomfortable daily that like I was forced to rise to the occasion. And so clearly I think it's going to be con the context matters. I was also, I had mentors that cared about me that were giving me very direct feedback. They cared enough about me to tell me very clearly, sometimes kind of, in, kind of intensely, what I was messing up. Um, and, and that was the foundation upon which we, we grow, you yeah. know? And, and so I, I just wanted to highlight that for yeah. folks. Too, yeah. Like, don't get distracted by money because, but, but here's the downside and the last comment on the, on the whole mm -hmm. rant was that the problem with that whole path was like by the time that I got what I wanted and I was leading this facility and I was making good money and I had this fancy title, I thought I was pretty hot shit. And I that's great that I dropped myself out of that world, moved back to California because I wanted to be closer to early stage high growth tech companies because I knew that that was like really the kind of more educational speed that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I got in there and I, oh my God, I was like, so not ready for some of that. And, and, and that was the beginning of the other learning ramp and just experience ramp that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's always another level, as they say, there's always someone who's going to be better than you. And at the time I had forgotten that, I think, yeah. I think I had forgotten. Um, so success can be a real trap and like a super big distraction for people. Well, that's awesome. And I like how you keep touching on being out of your comfort zone because um, I know you guys initially, you and your wife set 15 year goals to kind of pursue your financial goals in, in real estate. And mm -hmm. you expedited that and you shortened that, that timeline. And I think that is a great example of like creating your own sense of urgency and also um, creating more discomfort that, that will kind of push you to pursue those goals with more energy. And I think that's what we do. We have really lofty goals and we set really short timelines for them. Um, and Jeff, do you want to touch on like any goals or I mean, anything in regards to like our specific company, it's not necessarily um, an egotistical thing, but it's one, I mean, it's not as fun if you don't set big goals. And we read a book by, we read a book called, uh, by Grant Cardone called 10X. And he yeah. always talked about his only regret was not setting a higher goal because he ended up crushing his goal. Um, and that's the exact same thing that I don't want to look back and regret, right? I want to have had that goal um, and set it as high as possible. And if I fail to get to meet that, I mean, that would be better off shooting for the moon than if I never shot that high in the first place. You know, I appreciate you sharing that guys. I mean, it, it, I think um, the 10 X goal is, is the equivalent to, from what I understand to be, uh, what was that acronym that I heard for so long in the corporate world? It was uh, the BHAG. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Big yeah. Hairy the, audacious goal. Yeah. yeah. yeah the big, big hairy audacious goal. Kind, kind of a gross term, but you know, <laughs> I, it's the same idea, right? In, mm -hmm. in 
I find that to be absolutely true is like the key word there being audacious mm-hmm. and is, is audacity a good thing inherently? Actually, I'm not sure. Um, but when it comes to goal setting, when it comes to sticking your neck out for something you believe in, when it comes to having big expectations of yourself, those are absolutely the, the time Mm-hmm. to deploy audacity in my perspective and i'm going to give you a totally nerdy guy here and just say outside the spectrum of outside the scope rather of uh, real estate investing and entrepreneurship and career like here's where else i would apply it like uh and this is not what the podcast is about clearly but like you know we all have hobbies and passions outside of work mm-hmm. i play a bunch of guitar uh been playing guitar for 25 years and during covid 2020 i was like you know what I don't, like we're in this lockdown in California at the time. I have no excuses not to become like a truly kick-ass guitarist, right? And and I was just like, I, ha- I don't have a full-time job anymore uh, in the corporate world. Let's just go do this. So I set the audacious goal. I never would have had the, the confidence to go and do that had I not gone through the entrepreneurship experience of setting audacious goals for our business, as, as weird as that sounds. And like, I just think that anyone out there who wants to you know, make a major pivot in their career, learn a new hobby as like a true expert mm. or professional, you know, build a skill that they're terrified of learning and then fall on their face a thousand times before they finally figure out how to do it. What have you? Audacity is an incredible uh, way to go about goal setting in particular. So I really appreciate you guys sharing yours. That's awesome. Oh, for sure. That's awesome that you said that too, because I'm actually interested in like writing a book um, and just personal like fiction. And that's something that I, in my, in my business, we set really audacious goals. And so I, I was, I had a come to uh, myself moment where I was, if I'm going to be setting high goals in my business, then I'm a hypocrite if I don't do that in the other pursuits and hobbies that I want. Um, so yeah. very, very similar to what you just mentioned kind of tying it back into that 15 uh, year timeline. And also uh, I know you use this phrase financial, um, financial offense and financial defense. Can you kind of touch on it and expand on what that means and how that kind of has manifested itself in your journey and helped you with goal setting? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, platitudes and sayings, you know, I, I like, like everyone else, there's a part where I'm like, I hear one like financial offense and I'm like, God, oh, that sounds contrived. It sounds kind of stupid. But frankly, coming back to the whole audacity thing, mm-hmm. um, there's, I think, a key learning before we talk about financial offense and defense is knowing when it's most important, like deadly important, to not be jaded and cynical about certain goal setting. Because like, just because something sounds corny and just because something might be created by a person maybe that, you know, that you're not necessarily super supportive of or whatever... Don't write it off. I used to do that all the time. And like this whole notion of financial offense and financial defense, that actually comes from like a really meaningful, deeply impactful period of my life. Uh, I'm not going to go deep into this. You probably heard it because I because you told me that you'd actually listened to a conversation of mine or two, and I was really flattered. Um, you know, went through a tough time for about 10 years uh, earlier in my life. We call it like dark decade in our family. And it's like my dad's business as a broker that I worked in when I was younger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it really downsized because like I let, lost my younger brother to cancer. There was like a bunch of additional death, unfortunately deaths, not to get too grim here in my family, uh, parents got divorced and like all these things happen kind of culminated in my dad's business downsizing and our lifestyle downsized. And what is, what's the learning there for me financially, all the way back to your question, mm-hmm. referencing Kiyosaki for a third time on here. Um, 
the bucket analogy and the pipeline analogy that he introduces in that book really correlate. And, and, and I'm going to tie this all the way back to why it mattered to me going through this experience when I was younger, because it informs how I'm a dad and an entrepreneur and CEO of our company now. My dad's income was the only income that we had in our family. And it was good income until it was gone. Mm. And that's active income. Kiyosaki would call that the example of the bucket, not the pipeline. The bucket being you kind of carry you know, the figurative money over to your desk, you dump it on there, you go back to the well, aka trading your time for money in your day job, and then you do the whole rinse and repeat thing again, because if you stop working, that money stops flowing. Mm. Unlike the pipeline, the pipeline being, it just keeps flowing. Maybe you have a health issue, maybe, unfortunately, you get hit by a bus, I'm being grim mm. here, but just to be dramatic, you know, like, it, these things actually do happen. And like, when you have other people relying on you, and like I'm a dad now and I have a family that relies on me and people I want to show up for, I don't want, and this includes day jobs. This includes W2 employment that I used to think was so stable. And I believe wholeheartedly now is way more risky than being an entrepreneur and full-time investor. If I stop working, we're fine. And that is the financial offense that I want to tie this all the way back to is like those mm -hmm. early moments for me, help me understand that there's nothing stopping us when we set that 15 year goal and chopped it in half because it was too long from saying, we're going to aggressively add income streams for our household so that if something happens, God forbid to me and or Jennifer or you know, both of us and our, you know, we have to take care of our kids still, we have like dozens of income streams coming in and adding income streams is the core of that financial offense playbook. I'm not just sitting there and waiting for an employer to make us wealthy we're building income and income streams aggressively every single week and year. Yeah. And that's, that's financial offense, you know, financial defense very briefly is just, you know, I, I think I can't answer that question without talking briefly and mentioning um, the fire movement. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the fire movement being financially independent, retire early. I know most people know that now, but just want to mention it at the core of that. It really has this nugget of like frugality, but I kind of more subscribe to, if I had to pick one, the fat fire movement, <laughs> um, which is less about frugality and, and less about contracting your expenses. Mm -hmm. It's more about expanding your means so that you can then be independent. So do I believe in frugality? Absolutely. Like we drive, we still have a used car that we've had for like 10 years, you know, do I like cars? Of course, like everybody else, mm -hmm. but like, do we need a new car? No. You know, did, did we stay in our first home for nine years, despite the fact it was 100 years old out here in the Bay Area, little tight square footage wise, like we could have upgraded years ago. So frugality does matter on some levels. Um, and I think the defense also just simply means taking the time to go understand how taxes work. Uh, and it's like the driest topic yeah. that no one ever wants to, to talk about. But as a guy who worked at the company that makes TurboTax and I didn't give a crap about taxes, um, you're giving half your paycheck away. Yeah, uh, so I, I strongly encourage people to start finding a way to care more about it. And that, that, that is very important for financial defense as well. Well, that's great, great gold nuggets. I appreciate you sharing that. And this is uh, going to be our last question before our speed round, but I did want to touch on an article you wrote in the uh, Forbes. It was about the three different types of fear. And um, I believe the first one was just the fear that it's too risky to get into real estate. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I have it written down. I want to make sure I get them right. So real estate is risky. Real estate is um, unethical and the professionals are sleazy and uh, real estate is so permanent that it traps you. Um, I wanted to kind of get mm-hmm. an update on you because I think that was a few years old, but in the 2020 lens, uh, how has your perspective on those fears changed? And um, can you maybe tie it back to somebody who's starting just now, like in this current economic climate, um, current real estate market? What would you say to somebody that has one or all of those fears? Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you for going and reading that. I appreciate that. Um, Thanks for writing it. Yeah. I mean, it comes from a place of sincere, you know, compassion for other people that I wish I wish I had gotten the memo on this a decade earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would have changed some of the ways that our family experienced the early years of our children's lives together. No kidding. You know, so I wouldn't change a damn thing on that list. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and, and I think that those fears are valid. Um, every single one of them now is going to be an interesting time. You know, as we sit here in 2022, a lot in common from a risk profile perception, just from the perception mm-hmm. to the corporate term, the optics, <laughs> um, the feeling and sentiment in the market as I used to experience them, and I know many people unfortunately experiencing now, is you read a headline every single day saying, oh, recession's here, recession may be here. You don't want to think about it much more than that. All you know is me scared. News tell me scary time, right? Now, I'm not trying to make people sound dumb, but frankly, that is the level of sophistication I probably should have had a little bit more and more questioning of when I was in my earlier career. And I bring that up because like, when is the right time to get into an industry that has been proven to be the most wealth building friendly in all of human history? Like when's a good time to get into that? Always. When's a bad time to, uh, you know, like when is it ever a bad idea to start learning something in depth that could benefit you for the rest of your life? You know, like no one said that the first step for getting into something such as real estate or starting your own business or investing in a five or six digit number of capital you've scraped together to go buy a piece of property. Like these are all things that people should not just go out and do because they think that that's what it means to start. I strongly encourage people to go out and use this moment right now to educate yourself, just like listening to this discussion and like the other, the other podcasts from, from, from Gerwin and, and Jeff, you know, like this is the stuff and the time because the most money was made by active investors. I'm not talking about LP passive investors in a syndication. I'm talking about the folks who don't have a lot of capital, but they want to go hustle their rate of building a portfolio. Mm-hmm. That money was made in 2010 and in 2009. It wasn't made in the peak of the market when everyone was popping champagne and feeling like ballers because they got lucky. Yeah. Um, so now is that time. <laughs> and so don't just sit there and think you're going to be competing out there in a year or two with the people that have been waiting and have like seven to eight to nine figures, literally a capital to go deploy and scoop mm-hmm. up great deals on real estate. They're going to be way more ready and been preparing ahead of others. Now's that moment. Now's that moment to go learn. I read 24 books and listened to 400 podcasts before I decided to then start taking action on real estate. That was way too many. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think like six probably could have done it. I was yeah. perhaps you know, but the point being is most people are going to hear this and say, Hey, that sounds great and motivated. And then they're going to forget it the next day. Absolutely. Um, you know, the people who actually intend to add zeros to their net worth will take it more seriously and, yeah. and they'll start doing something about it. But sorry for the soapbox. No, no, that's fine. And it's funny you say that. Cause I've, I also heard uh, during downturns, uh, that's when the biggest wealth transfers happen. And 
Um, so, you know, but we're, we're on the, we're waiting on the sidelines. We're not, not waiting on the sidelines. We're in the arena, but waiting for the opportunity and we're going to be ready. And I, I hope always that people in our audience. Exactly. I, I'd say you guys are very also. much in the, the elite exception. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And it is time for our speed round. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. Fire away. Awesome. Let's get into it. All right. First question. What has been the biggest failure that you've encountered along your real estate journey? And what did you take away from that experience? You know, uh, I probably need to give a cheat answer, but I'll give two. Um, I don't really live with regret, uh, but I will say that uh, if I could go back in time, I was living to, to I was living in 2009 in Denver, Colorado, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. I wanted to live in the coolest apartment in town. Uh, I bought nothing. And I, instead of buying a single family home, or more importantly, house hacking, um, I would have, I would have house hacked. I, I, I don't know if that term even existed in popular use then, but it just, it, people were doing it, you know? And so I, I wish I had bought because I believe at least from 20, 2009 to 2019, this is the last time I looked at this specific data, that was some of the strongest single family home appreciation in the entire country. So I would have doubled my, my wealth, if not more, if I had done that. So that was number one, very quick number two. Um, you know, I think the first property we bought it was a duplex 45 minutes away from my where I'm sitting right now in Vallejo, mm -hmm. California. We thought I'm scared to buy something that is in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And even though it would have been more affordable in California, we don't invest in real estate anymore. Not because I don't like Cali. I'm like, I'm very, very Californian all the way probably until I die, but we don't invest in real estate here. And that's because the property costs us $430,000 and with a loan, of course, but that was like a six figure investment. And we wanted actual cash flow at that time. Mm -hmm. So it makes us do hundred bucks a month in cash flow. Has it appreciated a lot? Of course. Should we have done that again if we were setting goals for cash flow? Hell no. Yeah. Like I mean, that, that that's like a total loser from a, a cash flow investing perspective. So then we learned our lesson before we moved on to buy stuff that was more reasonable ratio between investment to cash on cash return. Um, so those, yeah. those are the, the initial learnings. There are far worse out there for people I know, but I'm knocking on wood. That, that's really the worst that's happened so far. That's awesome. And, and to kind of bring it full circle, where is your business at today um, in terms of scale and growth or however you would define that uh, in terms of success, but where is it today and where are you aiming to take it moving forward? Yeah. You know, uh, incredibly proud of where we're at. Um, so we've done, so Madison Investing, just for background, like it's a, as you mentioned up front uh, mm -hmm. with the intro, it's a passive investing group for accredited investors. What we do is we basically go invest our money in experienced real estate operators who do like large apartment buildings, self-storage, and then occasionally some niche mm -hmm. uh, alternative stuff outside real estate. And so we've done 37 deals to date. Nice. Uh, and these are big deals. These are not single family homes. These are like, so we've done over 10,000 units of deals. Uh, and it, it's a blessing to work with people that we really feel we can trust and enjoy working with in the Sun Belt, you know, from Texas mm -hmm. all the way over to North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, and down to Florida, uh, more recently in Arizona, Colorado, and Idaho. And so that's where we're at. And, and the, the key thing I would say for that's very tailored to us as well, though, guys, is that our, 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 our answer to the, to the question of like, what is enough? Mm -hmm is like got to be the most terrifying human question that's ever been written, right? Not to get too heady for people, but like mm -hmm. um, once people achieve financial independence and financial freedom, uh, that's when the real work starts. As yeah. weird as that might sound, um, because we are lifestyle people, right? And and I think a lot of folks, and they start real estate investing 
but instead what they find is they went and built a real estate business. And those are two totally different things. Yeah. And so building a real estate business versus investing in real estate. One of those is a hardcore, no different than Silicon Valley grind, 80 to 100 hours a week. Yeah. People figure out which one it is. The other is a way to build wealth by putting money into it. And so mm -hmm. we aim to strike a balance. I work my butt off. I don't work 80 to 100 hours a week anymore. And it's, it's by design, you know, so, so, so we, we're just thrilled that we uh, have investors, hundreds of investors that trust us and come back and want to reinvest alongside us um, mm -hmm. in great deals. I love that. That's so awesome. Cause we are a big advocate for creating a lifestyle by design. So that's awesome. Um, and I did want to ask if you shared a ton of wisdom today, if there was one piece of advice that you'd want someone in our audience to walk away with, what would that be? Find a way to get, find a spark to get curious about something, you know, and as, as that might sound generic and you're going to be like, oh, I want something more actionable, but like for, for real, like people don't force yourself to somehow wake up one day and love an aspect of mm. if you want to go with real estate investing and like, I'm not going to wake up someday and love underwriting. Like I just like, did I do it? Have I done it? Do I do it every week? Yes, I do. Um, does it feel more like the work part of my life? Yes, it does. <laughs> and, you know, does talking to investors feel like a lot of work to me when I connect, reconnect for the ninth or 10th or 30th conversation with a person who's invested seven figures of capital with us over the course of years and is super happy with the outcomes. That ain't work. That's joy. Mm -hmm. And it's with a friend essentially. Yeah. And, you know, and so I, I just think getting curious about it, but the vice versa happens for so many wonderful, brilliant people out there. And they say, I have zero interest and I'm terrified about talking to investors. Mm -hmm. I would love to spend 12 hours a day in a spreadsheet. And I'm like, I don't understand, but I'm so happy that you have that interest for real. And, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, we're a good compliment. Yeah. Um, so just find a way to get curious, but don't pigeonhole. Don't, don't try to force yourself into loving something that you don't love you, but maybe give it a good old college try and then see how it pans out. That's great. Great tip. Um, last one. I did want to know, you said you read 24 books when you first started, which one was the most impactful for you? Oh man, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I will have to say essentialism is probably the one okay. um, by Greg McEwen. And you guys are nodding like at least you're, you're, you're familiar with it. Um, I've probably gone back to it three times, at least all the way through. And, awesome. um, you know, I use a blended audiobook and, uh, mm -hmm. and written. I would just highlight for folks, why is that important? Why is that my favorite? Not a real estate book, more of like a business personal development book. And it's so critical because we all have the same finite amount, all, all of us of time per week, whether like you're the Pope, whether you're Oprah, whether you're just another person working a desk job, 24 hours in a day. The, the reason the vast majority of people don't do anything big in life or achieve their goals is because they say no, they don't say no. They say yes to everything. They, they say yes to coffees and lunches and barbecues galore instead of just taking a focused two to three years of time in their life, saying no more often to make time to work on that one thing and then completely changing their life, literally for the rest of their life. So essentialism literally gives you ways to say no to your friends and your colleagues and people you care about and keep your social graces intact. I think it gives you five ways to say no. And so I just wanted to mention that. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And thank you so much for your time and all the knowledge you dropped today. It was really great talking to you. If anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you, Spencer, just follow you on your journey, where can they go to do that? Yeah, um, probably at our website uh, at madisoninvesting.com. Uh, so we are accepting new applications from accredited investors. And uh, when folks actually right now, if they go and sign up on our website for a newsletter, we do monthly, they'll also get a chance to book a strategy call with me. Um, my calendar is available on there. So starting, I think, as early as next week, folks can throw that on there. And it's, it's a no obligation thing. We can just nerd out on real estate or investing or really whatever whatever they want to use the time for. So I, lo I love those calls. It's just like a long view, kind of get to know each other, but also talk about nerdy things, which is my jam. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Spencer. And thanks to everyone for tuning in today uh, to the Real Estate Monopoly Show. Uh, please leave a five-star review and share a comment. If you got any value, let us know what you thought. And yeah, tune in, make sure you guys go out there and take action.